Hi ballers, I have a really big ask of you today and that's to drop the ball on your expectations and your predispositions of what it means to be a teacher. If you think teacher and automatically jump to curriculum, I want you to think again. I want you to think about the humans, the children, the students. Today, Melanie Mayorka, orchestra teacher on Long Island, New York, is bringing into view how to walk into the classroom and think outside of the curriculum to teach the whole student. We'll hear her tips for how she makes her classroom a safe and comforting environment for her students, how she balances motherhood along with teaching, and some fantastic tips for teachers to strengthen the connections with their students and make sure that the passion that once got them started as a teacher stays alive throughout their career. Hi there, you found Drop the Ball with Gina Kuhn, and I'm so excited to give you the opportunity to join a community of women that realize every day, women everywhere are dropping the ball. Let's move past the feeling that we're letting people down and embrace ourselves as the rock stars that we are. Through stories from my personal journey and interviews with imperfectly strong women around the country, I invite you to embrace the idea that you choose the proverbial ball you get to drop. Together, we'll put down the past, let go of the future, and pick up the present. Through reflection and a shift in mindset and priorities, I'll help you redesign your chaos so you can redefine your life. Next time someone asks, how do you do it all? Your answer will be, I dropped the ball. All right. Hi, Melanie. Thank you so much for joining Drop the Ball podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you because we have a lot in common, especially our passion for teaching. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So the first thing I want is just, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about your family life, and then you can tell us a little bit, a little bit about your teaching career. Okay, great. So I am a mom of two. I have two little girls. They're five and seven years old. I've been married to my husband for eight, eight years now. I started teaching 16 years ago, so long before husbands and babies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I teach orchestra. I teach middle school. I've been there for all 16 years, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. I also do the drama club. That is like a huge part of it, which is super fun for me. And I do the advanced chamber orchestra, and I just try to be as involved with the music kids as far as they go up to the high school as well. Well, I love that because being an orchestra teacher, it just lends itself to these other activities. Like you're saying with drama, it's nice to be connected. And it sounds similar to, to my career where I was in middle school and I was with the same school for my whole career. So it's nice because you really get embedded in the school culture and everything. Yes, absolutely. The middle school is like my, every time I tell people that I teach orchestra, they're like, oh, great. What, what grades? And I say middle school and I go, oh, I'm like, no, I love it. <laughs> like there, it's just, it's a special, I think it just has to be a special kind of person to love middle school. And I am. <laughs> so that's just like where I want to be. Yes. I get the same reaction. It's like, oh, it's, I would never teach middle school, but it's such a transitional time in their lives. It's that adolescence yeah. where all these crossroads and developmentally everything, you know, they're dealing with so much more. In those years, so much throughout those years, they just change, especially teaching sixth through eighth grade, even just seeing the change 
from my sixth graders to my eighth graders, they just become people. <laughs> they become right, who right. they are in that time frame. It's so cool to watch. Yeah. So now you said it takes a, a special type of person. It's a certain mindset and philosophy to teach middle school. So I'm sure that lends itself to your particular teaching philosophy. And I even remember back to methods classes in college and we had to write our teaching philosophy, which I wish I had a copy of that right now because <laughs> I can only imagine what I wrote all those years ago. But I'd love to hear at this point in your career, like what would you say every day when you walk into the classroom, what is your teaching philosophy? The most important thing that if you know you accomplish this in a school day, you leave happy. I, that's very, very obvious to me is that my students feel safe in my room. I always say, I want them to know that this is a safe place for you. And if we learn music along the way, cool, <laughs> that's great too. But I want them to know that this is a safe place for them, that I'm there for them and that they can be who they want to be there and that no one else is going to judge them. Because a lot of times kids want to open up, they want to feel safe. But if every if everyone is not on board, it doesn't work. It only takes one bad apple and not even like a bad kid, but a kid to be sarcastic or to tease someone. If like if I allow just one of that, then no one, they probably won't even say it, but they'll just stop being open like that with me and feeling safe. Right. So I make a big deal of that every single day. So the classroom culture, then to sum that up, your classroom culture that you create and how they're going to have those relationships and connections in your room. And that that takes everybody that's full buy in. Absolutely. And it's not some magic. It's not a thing I do. I don't necessarily even try to show them with actions as much as work. Like I tell them, I don't assume that they're going to figure that out based on me having a smile on my face or me interacting with them certain ways. I do that as well, but I flat out tell them, I have a conversation with them. This is a safe place. I care about you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I tell them that every day. I tell my classes, I love them every single day because I don't know if they hear that anywhere else in their day. So yes. I make sure I say that to them. And it's funny. I said that I used to be like the big sister, but I've aged to now I'm the mom. <laughs> <laughs> but now my kids always joke that they all call me mom. It's like a big joke in the classroom. And I tell them, I'm like, I want you to feel that you can come to me and feel safe here. I say, when you walk in my room, I want you to go. I want this never to be a stress. And I tell them, you know, if you come in here and you forgot to finish your vocab words that are due next period. I want you to feel safe to come to me and say, can I have two minutes to do this quick and know that I'm not going to bite your head off that I do understand. I understand that stress of walking into school and realizing you forgot something. Right. And everyone does it. I do it as a teacher. I'll walk in and be mm. like, oh my gosh, I was supposed to handle that paperwork yesterday. <laughs> I tell them all the time how I think People are way harder on kids than they're even on themselves as adults. Yes. We expect kids to never have a bad day. We expect them to always be in a good mood, always make the right choices. When I don't know an adult that does that at all, ever, that they never have a rough morning or forget something. Uh, I have kids that come to me when they forget something, like their instrument or their music, and especially my sixth graders who haven't had me as long, they look so scared. And I tell them, I'm like, the only, my only concern right now is that you seem so scared of me that I, mm -hmm. you think I'm going to bite your head off because you lost music. I don't know where my music is right now. Like, I'll figure like, it's okay. And I try to relate to them and let them know it's okay to not be perfect. And I feel like there is either they're either perfect or they're not. And there is no, they don't feel like they're allowed to have a gray area. 
So I make a big deal talking to them about how it's okay. And I, I relate to them. I tell them the mistakes I make every single day so that they're like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Right. The biggest takeaways I get from that, first of all, is how direct you have to be. I think a lot of people come into just relationships with children, like you're saying, not even necessarily a teacher, but speaking of teaching, I think a lot of teachers just make assumptions of what the children know or expect or can do. And even at the middle school level, yes, it's middle school, but everything has to be very direct. You have to tell them and state those expectations and as well as where you're at and how you feel. So I really appreciate you saying that because if there are new teachers watching or even maybe just tired, burnt out, stressed teachers that are just looking for a new perspective or a refreshed perspective, lead with intention, every single thing, just be clear. And it's received so much better because then at least, you know, they understand. They understand it. Yep. Right. You made it clear. They understand. And also the modeling, it sounds like you make sure to model a lot, maybe not necessarily with actions, as you, as you said, but letting them see you as a non-perfect person as well, because that's going to be the best way they can realize, well, she can't find her music. So it's okay that I can't. And um, I really appreciate that too. Yes, absolutely. I let them know anytime if I'm, when I'm playing something, I'll mess up playing and they get so excited when I like mess something up. Cause I'm like, Oh, sorry. Like, I know I always joke. I'm like, I know I'm so perfect, but <laughs> like, I joke, and they, they like really respond to that. to knowing like, Oh, it's okay. If I mess up, she messes up and she's been doing this longer than we've been alive. And it's right. So now you've also shown them some coping mechanisms as well. Exactly. Yeah, this is fantastic. And I have to say a reason why I brought you on the show as well. You know, I, I stepped away from my teaching career and that was a huge part. I still think it's a huge part of who I am. And that was a hard decision. And for anyone that's been listening, you heard me go through those emotions. Mm -hmm. So I just really admire you because you're, you're doing everything that I wanted to make sure I did as a teacher every day. So it makes it a little bit easier for me knowing that I left the classroom when there's teachers like you still doing what's important. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. It's great to know that it's being seen and there are a lot of, a lot more teachers are doing this than that aren't. It's just not highlighted. That's not what you see in the news. That's not what you see no. in articles. You only see really the bad and it's hard to to get the positivity out there. So I really appreciate you doing a podcast like this to show that we're out there and we're doing it. Yes. And for maybe for some teachers that especially if they're new, like you said, the news is not really highlighting these aspects of what we're giving to children. And I want more teachers to be to also feel safe. Yes. That if this is how you're feeling called to be a teacher in a classroom, it's okay to do this because every child is showing up at your door with some other story and we don't know what that is. So we have to receive them where they're at and just be willing and open to giving them what they're going to need in that moment. And it sounds like that's what your priority is. Yes. And I always think, so when I first started teaching, I would randomly hear a story about a kid's something rough going on at home that I would have never known or a situation they were in. And I just realized how I would maybe tailor how I treated that kid based on knowing the rough thing they were dealing with. And it hit me that everyone has something like that. I have, you have to treat everyone 
with kid gloves, as I say, treat everyone as if they're having a rough day. And it really, if you just imagine that, that like everyone, when they have a rough day, I do an exercise with my kids the first day of every, every school year I start, and it's called the baggage exercise, where I give them a, a piece of paper and they write something on there that is on the, that's heavy on their heart. And they take it and they it's their favorite part of the year because they curl up in a ball and they throw up and throw it at me. So like I hold my my stand up to my head and they all get to pelt their papers at me. And then I gather them up and anonymously I read them outside. I read them to the class and kids share about divorces, deaths in the family, families in jail. I haven't seen my mom in six months. My, they share and I'm. It's all anonymous and we look around the room and I say, even though you don't know who's dealing with what you know we're all dealing with something. Every single kid is dealing with something. And that exercise, just that's how I start the year off to get them to like feel. And I share with them things that are heavy on my heart in that moment. I always let them know like, I love being here. This is my dream career, but I leave my two beautiful babies every day to come here. And that's hard. So some days you might walk in my office and see me looking at pictures with tears in my eyes. And do you think maybe you'll be a little kinder to me because of that? And they all like, oh yeah, I get it. And I said, realize I'm reading these really heavy things. Like kids pour their hearts out, even kids who are first day with me. They, middle schoolers especially, I feel like are just dying for anyone to listen to them because they are so often written off as babies and children. And they are not. They are full grown people with full emotions. Their emotions are bigger than ours even are because they're in the middle of hormone changes and puberty. Right. And they have so many real feelings that I feel like are very much suppressed and seen as childish or kid feelings. And I, day one, I'm like, tell me how you're feeling. And they jump at it. I always tell them, anytime I do any sort of mindful activity, they're always given the option to just sit and not do it. It's nothing is required. Sit, close your eyes, take a breath, chill out, zone out as far as I care. They all do it every time from day one because they're like somebody's gonna listen to me and actually value my feelings and my struggles uh, and that's what i do the first day and they always joke about it they're like can we throw stuff at you again today i'm like that was once <laughs> once it, once a year you can throw stuff at me <laughs> that is fun but it really the importance of them having that opportunity because then that that endures that they're now going to know you were the teacher that invited them to open up and as they go through any of the other trials, I'm just, you know, thinking back quickly on my 12 years in the classroom when I'd be on my lunch break. And I'm sure this has happened to you where you're like, oh, OK, let me turn my lights off and, you know, steal a few minutes. And there's the kid in tears at your door every day. Yeah, <laughs> like right. Every day. How many exactly how many times and you, they get you not as an orchestra teacher, but as a trusted adult and mm -hmm. It, it's really important that people see teachers as more than just the people that are going to deliver the curriculum, because it really is so much more than that. And like you said, they, they sometimes these huge things that are weighing on them, maybe at home, and that that's what we don't know, maybe at home, they've made it very clear that they're not listened to. Maybe there's multiple siblings, or just, it's a certain topic that they know is not going to be well received at home. And Regardless of our feelings, we just need to be there for them. And it's that human factor. And I've always tried to lead with that. That's also, that's my philosophy is that these are human beings in our classrooms mm -hmm. and we have to make sure that they know we value them as such. So, and you brought something up too of how you said you struggle 
at times and, you know, to make sure that the kids understand that so that it's mutual respect. You're saying, I see you. I expect you to see me as a human as well. And we can all function our best when we respect each other in that way. So branching off from that, what would you say is your biggest struggle in the classroom or as a teacher in general? Would you say it has to do with your family or is there something else? Definitely as a, especially a music teacher that I know every teacher has their things, but there's so many extracurriculars after school events that are more required of music and arts teachers. And when I first had children, it was a shock to me to have to, I used to be able to be at the school until eight o'clock every night if I needed to be and go in on weekends and go in early. And it, what, it didn't matter. Who was I, what was I doing? I had all that time. So when I went out on, on maternity leave, I came back and I realized I had to make a, a bunch of big changes for that. So even to this day, it feels like you can't always, you can't, you can't be 100% a perfect teacher and 100% a perfect parent and a perfect wife and a perfect daughter and a perfect sister and now aunt, very newly aunt. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. She's perfect. So it's really just about trying to find the balance and be present where you are when you're there. I realized when I went to go on maternity leave with my first daughter, I thought, how can I do this? How can I leave my classroom? Everything I do is so is so particular and this and that. And I was out for five months and I came back and guess what? Everything was fine. And that really showed me like, well, the show really will go on without me. And as much as part of me was like, they didn't need me. <laughs> but I, then I was like, it's great that they, you know, I, I, I put the building blocks into place that I was able to go and say, this is what I need to get done. And I had a particularly difficult a leave replacement. She was not great. She kind of disappeared. I had to come back in the middle of my maternity leave to get somebody else trained. Wow. Uh, so that was a stress during it. But mm -hmm. the second person I had, he was like a retired veteran teacher was amazing. So he got them back on track. But it made me realize so with my second daughter, I wanted to be out longer because I was like, you know what, I'm gonna come back and it will be fine. And it was I came back. And it was fine. I it, one day into it, it was like I had never left. And I think realizing for, for all teachers out there who are trying to especially balance if you have to take off or if you need to, the show will go on without you. And that doesn't mean what you do isn't of value. It means that what you're doing is so good that it can withstand you being out for a little bit. I'm I'm sure you were on teacher Facebook pages where they'd be like, oh my gosh, I have, my daughter has the flu and I'm going to be out and then my kids are supposed to do this. What am I supposed to do? Stay home and take care of your kid. Right. If the test gets pushed back a week, it'll be okay. If they don't get their project finished this week, it will be okay. Mm -hmm. I think as a teacher, giving yourself that grace to know Yes, we have to make these specific lesson plans and these specific timelines, but if that doesn't happen, whatever happens will still be okay. And that is a huge pill to swallow as teachers because we are planners, we are organizers, we are calendar makers, we are list writers, yep. checker offers, and it is hard to just say, let me throw that all away because something else came up. But it is so important to give yourself that peace of mind to know it really will be okay. Mm-hmm. And for your mental health aspect as well, if oh we God, can't absolutely. allow ourselves to do that, we're going to crumble. And I relate to all of that as well. And I think any anyone listening, whether it's teaching or not, if you're a mom and a career woman, yes. 
these are struggles that we just inherently face from the nature of having a child. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love how you said, be present where you are when you're there, Mm -hmm. because it really just shows like, this is what you're doing in the moment. You might as well just give that your all. And if your brain is somewhere else, you're not going to be able to do that in the classroom or at home. So I think that's a really great piece of advice for our listeners. And you also mentioned something that made me think of, again, back in my college days when I was just student teaching and really working on it, you know, honing our craft. And my advisor had told me after he observed me, he said, listen, you need to become way more flexible if you're going to survive this. And I think that's a key word as well for our teachers and all of our career women out there to just put into their mind flexibility, mm-hmm. flexibility and knowing we made the lists, we did the checklist and all of that and planned everything out. And if we can't be okay with it, deviating from that, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Absolutely. You've kind of given a little bit of a roadmap into how to give yourself that grace, as you said, and kind of like redirect your mind to being open to that flexibility. Because it is, it's very hard. It is, especially when you have it in your head exactly how you want it to be and how perfect it will be in that way. Just trust yourself enough to know that even if the way you thought was perfect, the way you end up doing it will also work. And there's no gold medal for a perfect lesson plan going exactly how you want it. And there's like the kids leaving your room feeling safe having learned things. That's, That's what the hierarchy has to be. In any classroom, a kid that comes into your classroom feeling stressed and anxious and unsafe isn't going to learn no matter how perfect your lesson plan is. They're not going to even be there mentally. And I talk to my students about the same thing. And I tell them, does it help you when you're doing your math homework to worry about your science test the next day? And they're like, and they all get this like aha moment. But they realize that they can't possibly be giving their all to one thing if they're worrying about other stuff. So we talk about being able to focus and just push out the other stuff. And especially as parents that are working, having those two very important things in your life, it is absolutely, you will drive yourself crazy if you can't let yourself be one place at one time. It's not that when it's not that when I'm teaching, I'm not thinking about my kids. I don't have my phone next to me in case they need me. Of course, of course, of course right. absolutely. But I'm not thinking while I'm teaching, oh, I should be doing arts and crafts with my kids right now. Like, and like, cause that would do nothing but damage me. My kids are mm-hmm. obviously having, I mean, they're in school now, but before that they were with my mother every day. Like they're having a better time now. They're probably eating homemade breakfast and watching something fun on TV. They're fine. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, we always make it way bigger in our minds than mm-hmm. the children, whether it's students or our actual kids are, you know, feeling it. So that is absolutely true. Now, this kind of lends itself into what we talked about last week on the podcast. It was all about burnout and it gets, you know, teacher specific. So have you experienced burnout throughout your 16 years? And if so, how would you say you've been able to, you know, overcome that or work through it? So I... I don't know if I would ever consider it as much burnout in the classroom. It was burnout dealing with state level stuff and the way they were coming down on teachers and parental attacks of just teachers in general. That especially I think a lot through lockdown when for like a few months Mm -hmm. everybody was like, teachers are amazing, pay them a million dollars a year. And that very quickly turned to 
teachers are the worst. They're brainwashing our kids and everything they do is terrible. Like within a month, I don't even know how that happens so quickly because neither of those things are like, we're not, we're not heaven sent angels, but we're also not evil, but somehow we have to be one or the other in the public eye. And I, that's when a lot of teachers, a lot of teachers have left since lockdown because they're just the lack of respect um, as of the profession. I think I didn't, I don't feel burnout as much as I can't do what I'm doing every day. And I think that's because I, I don't know if it's because I teach music and I truly love teaching music. And I, I, I get filled up when I, when kids have an aha moment and they do those things, I do feel like I'm starting to fall back in love in a way that I hadn't before because for those few years when I was having babies originally, I felt very disconnected from the classroom. Uh, my mind, I was not as good at being one place at one time when I had little babies. I was mm -hmm. devastated to be at work when I wanted to be home with them and I had to train myself. And then I had my second baby two years later and then I came back 10 months later, it was lockdown after I came back. Right. So coming back and I, I felt like I couldn't connect with my students first because they were home. Then they were half home, half in person, six feet apart in masks. And this is really the first year that I feel that I can start to connect with them again. And I feel like a new teacher almost because I can have those connections again. We can we can be together. We can perform. We can make music. We can just be close to each other and not right. have to be so far apart. I used to have I had so many kids in my orchestras that they were in the hallways. Mm -hmm. I had to like navigate through because they had to be six feet apart. So I'm. I think as an actionable thing for teachers who are feeling burnout, I think you have to take a step back and remember why you wanted to start this in the first place mm -hmm. because nobody goes into it for the money or the fame or the glory. <laughs> we go into it because we genuinely love our love to teach. I always say like, I would rather teach a different subject than be a professional musician. I I'm a teacher that has right. to do music. So mm -hmm. that is, I feel like what most, genuine teachers are we just want to teach children and to i think finding out what exactly is the thing that's making you burn out is it the fact that you're just bored teaching the same thing every single day is it the kids behavior is it your administration is it your coworkers? and finding out what is the thing and then working on that one thing because it's very easy to just say i'm burnt out from teaching and okay rein that in what are you actually burnt out of are you sick of that one of that one coworker that always has a stink face on? Is it your administrator that might micromanage every lesson plan you do? Is it the fact that you have one class that there is a kid that no matter what you do gives you a hard time? And if you kind of rein it in and realize that it's not my entire career, it's this one thing and then work on changing or eliminating that one thing that could really help as far as to take the big picture, the overwhelming sensation of my entire career is burning me out to like, oh, this is actually the thing. It's a tangible thing that I can do something about. Right. I think that's great. That perspective and being able to hone in on it because I want people to understand too, just because I walked away from the classroom, that's not what, that's not the message I want to send to all teachers. I want teachers that maybe are struggling right now to hear that someone like you you're doing all the things. And that's not to say they don't come without struggle, but it doesn't mean you have to walk away. And I think that is a very actionable way for someone to sit down and reflect and get rejuvenated and reconnected to why they're there and how they can reach that longevity. 
maybe in a healthier way. Yes. So thank you for that. Take the sick day, take the mental health day, mm -hmm. like leave if you can for the day. If you, if it, I don't know, my school doesn't do half days, it take a whole day. But if you, if it's a beautiful day, I remember there was, you know, we have a bunch of sick days and there was a day um, that it was just a random 70 degree day in November. And I, my, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it a personal day. It was like, it was last year. I don't remember what it was. But I was like, I'm gonna take a personal day and just be home because it's beautiful out, and I want to. My sub plans are there, and that's okay. I, this is why you get personal days. And I am very lucky that my district, my union, my administration, they all are supportive of that. Some places you can't take, even though you have personal days, they give you. I know that that is not everyone's experience. And, and I'm very grateful for that, that I have personal days and I'm allowed to use them as personal days. And I understand that that's not everyone's experience. So I am aware of that, that some people listening might be like, that might be nice, but they can't do that here. It's just, if you can take the time, don't let yourself be telling yourself that you can't because your classroom will not go on without you. It will. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. I appreciate that. And um, so I always I always wrap this up asking for action steps for our listeners. And you really kind of just hit the nail on the head with everything I was going to ask you about making a finding a better way to make this work. But also, let's bring it back to the teacher student relationships. If you can give whether it's new teachers or teachers who need to refresh that aspect what would be your best action step to better prioritize their student-teacher relationships? I think being completely open and honest with your students, obviously to a degree, you don't need to tell them your friend drama, but being completely open and honest with your students about what you, what you want from them. If they think all you want is good test scores, that's how they will see you. But if you let them know you want to be the person they feel safe with, you want to make sure that they have good relationships to each other. And I have had students uh, hear them talking in the corner and they're maybe like teasing a different person that's not even in the classroom. I will stop my entire lesson, have a conversation about it. It's not something, I don't just do that one exercise on day one right? and then never talk about it again. But I do think that day one, hi, nice to know you. Let's not even talk about our subject matter today. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let them know that you actually do care about who they are. They're not just a kid in the classroom. They are a person and you want to know them and you can't teach someone if you don't know who they are. And it, some of, I mean, I have over 200 students every year. It it takes a lot to do that, but it's, it's worth it. It pays off tenfold. So you need to figure out yourself what's important to you in your classroom. You need to figure out what kind of, some people don't want kids coming and crying about their drama. I mean, this year alone, I've had kids come to me with telling me they were suicidal, that their parents have abused them, that they have no food at home. And this is happens on a weekly basis mm -hmm. and where kids come to me and say, I had a student who was approached, she was on the news, it was approached by a man walking home and she can't, she didn't tell anybody until she came to me. She's like, I waited until I saw you because I, I need you to come with me to guidance. They know wow. that they know I'm going to, I'm not going to know. Mm -hmm. They know I have to go with guidance. I can't ignore that. Right. They, they basically want me just sitting there with them as like their safe person. Mm -hmm. and I make a big point and I, it wouldn't be so obvious to them if I didn't make it so obvious to them that I am that person for them. They are not inconveniencing me. I am there for them. Right. So you make it a point to make it obvious and direct that you are that person, you are that safe space. 
Yes. Well, I'm just going to thank you on behalf of all of their caregivers, um, the, uh, from the other teachers, and just in general from, you know, humanity, because we need more of that now. And I'm so excited for listeners to hear this. And um, I just thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this of you with us. Thank you so much, Gina. This was really wonderful. I really appreciate it. I want to thank all of you for listening today. It's been such a great journey with all of you so far, bringing you all of this amazing information on these different topics. And I want you to know that I just keep creating for you. Next week, I will be hosting my first free workshop on how to drop the ball. And we will learn that philosophy and make that mindset shift together. And there's an even bigger course to follow all about redesigning your chaos and actually putting that into play in your day-to-day -day life. And if you're local to Houston, this weekend I will be speaking at an event in Montgomery where I'll be guiding you to bring all of your visions for 2023 to reality. You can access more information to my upcoming courses and workshops as well as this weekend's event by simply going to the episode notes and finding the links to my social media and to Alice House, the wonderful organization that I'm working with this weekend at our Gals and Goals event. If you are not local to Houston, make sure you tune back in on Friday for the 5-Minute Friday because I'm going to give you an awesome opportunity to be involved in that event in a very exclusive way. In the meantime, enjoy your week and keep redefining your path in front of you. And that's a wrap on an episode of Drop the Ball. I'm so blessed to have shared this time with you today, and I'm grateful that you tuned in to listen. I hope you're leaving today with something valuable to take with you and some action steps to put into place for your journey. Whether it's just me sharing my insight or we have someone bringing something into view, I ask that you please share this podcast so that others can be affected the way that you were today. And I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can stay up to date with everything that Drop the Ball has to bring in the future. Don't forget to find me and follow me on social so that we can continue the conversation and I can bring more value to you in other ways. And it's a great platform for you to be able to get in touch with me and share your thoughts, your ideas, and your questions for future episodes. And give yourself permission to drop the ball so you can redesign your chaos and redefine your life. This has been Gina Kuhn with Drop the Ball. Mm -hmm.